It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. On this, the Ascension Day, where Charles III is formally now the king of the British Empire, we have our very own majesty who has already ascended to the heights of power. Our very own. And she ain't no witch like Camilla either. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? Um, hey, look, you know what? Does she, and she doesn't have corgis. I don't think you have corgis, Diana. I do not. No. Okay, you have you have horses in your stable that you run around, and the corgis. No. And, and the only no thing barnyard you, animals. Nothing. Okay, the only thing you like to talk about is a bunch of horses and world affairs and your corgis. That's one of the criticisms I heard of the Queen today. Only thing she liked to talk about those damn corgis and her horses. And and once in a while, we're you know what? And and, and by the way. How many, how, some of these people that hate the queen, I'm not getting this. I don't. Why do they hate the woman? The woman was, the woman, I mean, I mean she's born into her Nazi uncle abdicated. She didn't want to be, she didn't, she didn't want to be the queen. She had a Nazi in the family, a Nazi loving guy that was going to be queen. They got rid of the Nazi guy. He married an American. They got him out of the way. Okay, so then she says, I'm in line. My dad was the king. I didn't want to be king. Now I'm the now I'm the queen. She's the queen. <laughs> well, the royalty has no real political power. I mean, they have cultural power in Great Britain, but no political power. Exactly. So it's, like, it's like paying attention to kind of Disney World. It's a fake kingdom. <laughs> they don't <actually laughs> rule. But, you know, it, it gives a measure of stability to the culture, and they love their royalty and following the ins and outs, and I see no harm there. I love my royalty, too. I love you and the and the royalness that you bring <laughs> and all that stuff. But, I mean, seriously, you got all these people on the left that are, like, going off on this woman like she was the epitome of evil. I hope she has an excruciating <laughs> death. I mean, who says that kind of, sh- that kind of stuff to people? That's just That's evil. The they, 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 they live for excuses to do that, to just un, unleash their inner, you know, fascist. But they just enjoy it. This is their happy place to be vicious. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I mean, who was wish this on a 96-year-old woman? I hope she has an excruciating death. Who does this? And then, well, and then, you know they do that whenever anyone who's not a leftist has any kind of problem. They, the mob dis- descends on on uh, social media with that kind of expression. It is just, I think it's a spiritual thing. It's a very demonic sounding how they unleash their hatred. Oh, well, I can get uh, speaking of demonic, um, Greg Sargent in the Washington Post. <laughs> There's a. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, a longtime conservative insider, that's when you know we're getting the demonic conservative. <laughs> a long, <laughs> the GOP can't be saved. And I'm like, well, who are they talking about? They're talking about Bill Crystal, talking about demonic. <laughs> 
know, Bill Crystal has long not been uh, on our side, and this is the reward he gets in his hometown paper. He gets a tongue bath. Uh, he gets kisses. He gets, <laughs> a tongue <you> know, bath. <laughs> Well, this is basically what this is. It's an interview where Bill Crystal gets to spew his anti-Trumpism. And, you know, the thing is that's so amazing about this guy is that he has never, ever succeeded at anything. When he was on our side, supposedly, he never conserved anything as a conservative. And the guy is just ineffectual, ineffective. And so whatever he spews in the Washington Post, you just got to realize it has no power. It's annoying and it's irritating reading this. He's he's trying to peel away Republican votes from the Republican Party because the Republican Party cannot be saved because it is Trumpy. And so he is basically making common cause with the Democrats, which is Fine. You've been a Democrat for a while. Be a Democrat. You're useless to them as you were to us. So fine. But, you know, his reasoning has some interest to it. He's realizing how helpless he is to stop the quote unquote takeover of, of the Republican Party by Trump forces. And so this is sort of a helpless complaint, like uh, basically admitting he lost. The establishment Republicans had a division with the Trump forces, and they lost. The The party is now fully Trumpy. And the interesting, I think, two interesting things he says. One, he was asked by the interviewer, Greg Sargent, what happens if Ron DeSantis is the nominee? Are you going to urge the Republican voters to vote instead for Joe Biden? And he says, yes. So it's not about Trump only. It's about conservatives now. It doesn't matter who the person is. He's going to advise his his little forces, which are minuscule, to vote. Democrat. So he is not in any way to be listened to by anybody in the Republican side. He said he hasn't voted Republican since Trump won. So be a Democrat. The second interesting thing I think he says is he's going through history and wondering how Trump basically arrived. And the interviewer asked him, was it because of the failure of the Iraq war? And he says, no. no. He says it was the financial crisis that damaged faith in elites. He puts his finger on exactly why Trump won, which was the voters, us, were sick to death of the elites not doing anything for us in the Republican Party. And that's why Trump won. And he mentions that he was for Palin, who wasn't quite as Trumpy. And he mentions three issues. Palin wasn't as anti-immigrant, quote unquote, he means anti-illegal immigrant, anti-trade and anti-globalism. Immigration, trade and globalism are three issues that Trump ran on deliberately in 2015, 2016. He made an argument, a political argument on the issues, and he persuaded Republican voters that he was correct. And I get so tired of people claiming that Trump was this blowhard. He had no issues. Everything was emotional. He was just nasty. He ran on 
issues and he used persuasion in his rallies. And these were three positions that the Republican Party did not hold. And he convinced enough voters that he was correct. And so the Republican Party establishment to this day has not forgiven him. So I thought it was very interesting that that he sort of swerved into the truth there, Crystal did, in his little useless tirade against Trump. Now, the Republicans, the Republican base has always been where Trump was on those three issues. The Republican establishment wasn't. And this was the big disconnect between us, those of us who used to rail about what, how useless and timid and weak and feckless the Republican Party leadership was. You don't hear that when people are talking about Trump because finally somebody stood up for the Republican base that has always wanted a leader like Trump to take these issues squarely on. Everybody had the same reaction when when Trump would talk. People would say, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we've been talking about. Now, I disagree with you on one issue. I think trade was unique to Trump. I think he made the case that one of the reasons that we were seeing the hollowing out of of so many cities where the manufacturing, the factories were, had been pulled out, he made the case, which I don't think was necessarily clear to Republican voters until Trump made that case, that it was these stupid, and that was the word that Trump used, stupid trade deals. We really hadn't paid it. In fact, a lot of us, including Rush, were originally open to the idea of free trade. We thought that's what this was, which it wasn't. And Trump, who was a contract guy who read the bottom line, basically looked into it and made the case that that was the cause of a lot of, as Perot had said, the great sucking sound, which was the leaving of our manufacturing strength to out, outsource and overseas. And Trump basically made the argument that that was a mistake and we needed to reverse it. And he went a large distance to actually fixing that, which, of course, Biden is now what, what, what are you going to do? Wave a magic wand? What are you going to do? Wave a magic wand and bring those jobs back down there? What are you talking about? You going to wave a magic wand? <laughs> well, he did that. Magic wanded. And yeah. we need the magic wand back because, you know, basically we're in, in sorry straits right now. Mm-hmm. You're still on your Michelle tip. You think, Michelle, I saw at the U.S. Open, you know, they're in New York today. Michelle and Barack, they're here for something or another. Oh. Well, she is. She is making a lot of public appearances. She was this week at the White House getting her official portrait uh, revealed. Did yeah, you see that I portrait? Yeah, I saw it. Well, I thought it was lovely. I, <laughs> but, you know, she is in the public eye again, just slowly, and her book will be, you know, a big book tour. She'll get a lot of publicity, so we will see. I mean, we've got $100 riding on uh, Yes, <clears throat> Gavin Newsom. Okay, well, you know, speaking of it is going to be Gavin. It is going to be Gavin. You did not read my piece, or you wouldn't say that. I did read your piece. It is going to be Gavin Newsom. It's not going to be a white guy, and it is going to be Gavin Newsom. Gavin, Gavin. I mean, come on, preppy California. They already are imagining the videos that 
Republican activists, not Republican Party, will be running about the homelessness, the crime, the drug use, the pooping in the streets that California is. There is no way that they are going to expose themselves to the uh, political criticism that's going to be inevitable. It's Gavin Newsom. Okay, we'll see. It's not going to be Michelle Obama. Michelle, by the way, was out at the U.S. Open living the jet set life. Which is what right. she loves doing. She is a and jet she setter. Continue. She Who's loves the life. Her? Who's going to stop her? I mean, you know that Biden has shown the way that you can be president as a figurehead in the Democrat Party. You don't have to do anything but occasionally give a speech. She is going to fit right into the Biden mold because he proved that you don't need to actually do anything, which is her happy place. <sighs> What else is on your mind? Listen, listen, listen. I want to mention something that I'm really a little bit focused on rather than who cares what Bill Crystal says, which is these these dozens of Trump allies who've who've been served by subpoenas. Okay, now this story you this story I learned about last night. Thank you. And I don't think a lot of people know about it. No. Go. It's it's really frightening. I mean, this was first mentioned yesterday by Steve, Steve Bannon, Bannon, who said that 35 Trump allies, ha- allies had been raided or subpoenaed. And then Tucker followed up on it last night and had Harmeet Dillon on, who is a lawyer. And she basically said, yes, there were several of her clients who were subpoenaed. And there is a really important uh, link to go to. This is called Bombshell Report. Dozens of Trump allies raided or served subpoenas by FBI. This is by Nick Arama at Red State. And there you will be able to read, they blocked out the name of who got this, an actual subpoena. And the requests made are unbelievable, James. I will send this to you and you can put it up on your Twitter feed so people can find it. But basically, this is a First Amendment protected activity. These are people who who actually are part of the PAC leadership of Trump, the Save America PAC. And, and this subpoena is demanding any information that people did about certification, about the fraud, the electoral fraud. They want to know what our side has, and they're going to basically weaponize this position that there may be questions about the election to become illegal. And so this to me is really worrisome. And we saw this rollout with the, you know, gates of hell speech, the blood red speech Biden gave, which was targeting MAGA Republicans. And then you had, you know, this basic approach of of making MAGA Republicans the enemy for the midterms, and they are trying to make the midterms all about Trump and us, the, the voters for Trump. And so this, to me, is very scary. The Save America PAC is also under grand jury investigation, which has all of Trump's fundraising in it, $99 million dollars which is very interesting because McConnell wants his hands on that money. And the same attitude is targeting by the Justice Department, the Save America PAC. This is a real threat to them. They are trying to take out the entire Trump political apparatus before the midterm elections. And and I think this, this 
this Bill Crystal piece is part of that. It is part of this demonization of the Trump voters, the MAGA Republicans, as, you know, scapegoats for all the ills of America. And to me, the question that was asked by Molly Hemingway on Twitter, which is, let me get the actual quote, perhaps someone should check the pulses of every elected Republican. In other words, where are the Republicans? And that's the question we ask often. This is something that people should be in the in Washington, D.C., who represent us, should be running to every camera, to every microphone, and basically alerting the public that this is now gone into a very dangerous place in America where a political opposition is basically being outlawed. That cannot stand. Well, we shall see whether it stands or not. I think we're in for a lot more scarier days ahead. These people are going to stop at nothing. And I mean nothing. I know, Diana, I mean nothing. This is what I'm saying. And, And the first important thing is that we need to be aware of it. We need to pay attention. We need to be informed. And that is one of the greatest things your show does is keeps people informed of what. So we see what we're seeing. Our eyes are open. You know, the left is woke. Well, we're awake. And we have to be able to observe first and then react with a legal and passionate uh, expression of our First Amendment rights. We say out loud what we believe, and we vote. Amen to that. Your Highness, as always, wonderful to have you, Princess Di, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Princess. We'll be uh, with you next week, and we are going to be keeping our eyes on this, more than our eyes on this. Thank you. And I will post that to Twitter. So those of you I will send it to you. at BoSnerdly.com, just check the Twitter feed um, within moments of the program being done. We'll talk with you soon, Princess Di.